was on a boat and we were stopped in Memphis, Tennessee in the fog. I had called home and my wife said she uh, had called and said she was on her way home. But uh, she said she hadn't got here yet. I said, well, wait a few more minutes and if she doesn't show up, call brother-in-law and get him to ride down toward town where you can see if she's had car trouble. She had a fairly new car, which wasn't but about a year old, maybe two years old at the most. And it shouldn't have no car trouble, but you never know. So she had did that. She called down at their house. She said she backed out of the garage started down the hill and she saw the car sitting there and she was gone. Approximately 7.45 p.m. February 4th, 1986. Chandra May is a high school senior. She's in love. She has dark hair and is dressed in a white blouse and blue pants. She's also sporting a bracelet, diamond speck earrings, and her class ring. She pulls her little blue car into the parking lot of TGNY in Forest, Mississippi on a mission. It's still almost two weeks until Valentine's Day, but she can't stop thinking about her boyfriend and she's got to go ahead and get him a little something in case she runs low on money closer to the 14th. She does earn every penny she spends. That's just how it is in her family. She practically skips into the store and picks out a card that is not at all subtle. The card itself is an oversized heart and she grabs a little stuffed animal to go with it. Chandra May is unaware that this is her last appearance at the TGNY. She's already put in her final hours at her part-time job. Chandra May is a small person with a big heart who is, among other things, very pretty. And though she doesn't know it, she's about to expose the underbelly of her little part of the world, which is, among other things, very ugly. Born on February 26th, but she was born early. Oh, yeah? She was born a month early. Mm. And weighed three pounds, 15 ounces when she was born. You could hold her in one hand. She was just a little bitty thing. That's Chandra's father, Richard May. Sitting with him in his living room, I asked him to tell me a little about Chandra's life. There was a little sparkle in his eye 
remembering the child he and his wife often called their miracle baby. You see, Chandra May was never actually supposed to be a thing. Doctors had repeatedly told Richard and Janelle May they would not be able to produce a child. The chances were one in 10,000, they said. So they adopted a baby boy they called Tim. And eight months later, to the day, guess what? They kept her a week extra in the hospital when she was born. And then they told us they'd have to keep her till she weighed five pounds. Well, Sunday morning, the doctor called and wanted to know how we'd like to have a little girl. He said, y'all can do far what we're doing here at home. He said, all you got to do is just make sure that the hole in the nipple is real big where she don't exhaust herself nursing mm-hmm. on the bottle, you know, and quit eating. It had been a difficult delivery. Janelle and her daughter barely survived it. But Chandra May was indeed a thing. And she was very close to her mom, her brother, and her dad. I didn't never have any real problems with her at all. She very active child. We had ponies for them when they were small. And we had dirt bikes for them. She loved to ride a motorcycle and loved horses, rode horses. That type of stuff. She never was an athlete per se, playing ball or anything like that. But as far as it's a house or mm-hmm. you know what we had, or she she enjoyed the outdoors. There she is. Yeah, that's her. That's her. Right and there. how close are you in age to her? She's three years younger than me. Okay. She and I were close, my brother and sister. That's Chandra's cousin, David Spivey. David's mother was Janelle's sister, Mary. Mary and Alton lived right next door to the Mays. People in the area sort of thought of them all as one big happy fam. I asked David and Alton Spivey for their own descriptions of Chandra. Chandra was very kind-hearted, very nice. Little tomboy. <laughs> she, she was a little tomboy. She used to ride them motorcycles. He, he, him and Tim, made, Tim had two little old motorcycles. And they out here had terses. And, she, and she, she, she'd get speed up and jump that terse. That's like, that's like them boys would. Or she, was, she was just a likable oh, yeah. kid. Lovable. She was sweet. Here's Chandra's brother. Tim. There wasn't anything that I would do or try that she wouldn't try. We grew up, uh, we had motorcycles, we had ponies, we had horses, we had all sorts of junk. I jumped a ditch one day on the uh, on the bike, on my bike. Was talking about it and then the next thing I remember is we was going and pulling her out of the ditch with a bike upside down on top of her. She was, she was, she was tough. She had a time ball part to her, but she was all girl too, so. Oh, she, she was a little on the quiet side as far as she wasn't very real outgoing, you know. But she she just wanted everybody to be her friend. And Chandra did have friends through work and through school. There were only 36 of us in our class. Mm-hmm. So the school itself was small and our class was small. So everybody knew everybody else. Misty Reinwalt 
was a Leak Academy student first through 12th grade, so she, of course, knew Chandra May. On the weekends, you know, I had my set of friends, she had hers, but in a class of 36, you can't help but know each other. Here's Misty's take. She was one of the sweetest, most kind, generous people you'll ever be around. And the girls, the girls nowadays, 40 years later, matured differently than we did then, but she was an early bloomer and she matured real early, so she, uh, she had the boys' attention. She doesn't ever make five foot. Okay. She stand up real tall. She stays. She's five foot, but she, she was. She had to stretch to make it five foot. The uh, this is the old case, and um, now it has grown into much larger uh, throughout the the time, but. That's the original one. Yes. Have you, uh, do you know what she looks like and all I that do. stuff? Okay. That's me talking with the current sheriff of Scott County, Mississippi, Mike Lee. As you can tell, Mike was cordial and cooperative because he knows the people in his county still want to know what happened to Chandra May, and he welcomes any help anyone might offer. In 2007, I was elected sheriff. The first case and only case. Uh, that the sheriff, the the prior sheriff, William Richardson, uh, handed me was the Chandra May case. And I think that, uh, well, I know that he spent a great deal of time working on this case. Uh, he was the second sheriff to get it. Uh, but uh, a lot of the case file that I have to this day was put together by he and, and his deputies and administration. Let's go back to the scene at the TGNY on February 4th and rewind just a bit. Chandra reported to work at the McDonald's in Forest at 6 p.m. This small town was generally pretty fired up about having a Mickey D's. But on this Tuesday night, business was slow. Chandra's supervisor said, too slow, and started sending workers home. Chandra clocked out at 7.24 and used the payphone. Yes, payphone, kids. Google it. To call her mom and give her an update. She'd be coming home early, but was first going to stop and buy Tony, that's the boyfriend, a card at TGNY. This was not information a mother like Janelle would receive casually. She made note of the time. Buying the Valentine would take only a few minutes. The drive from the store to the May home in the Pea Ridge community would take 15 or 20 minutes. Then Chandra would be there. Or should be. Thank you for allowing me to delay my address until this evening. We pause together to mourn and honor the valor of our seven challenger heroes, and I hope that we're now ready to do what they would want us to do. Go forward, America, and reach for the stars. I was sitting there watching TV when the car went up the, went up the hill, but I didn't get up and see who it was or nothing else. Because mm -hmm. I don't, when a car go up a hill, I don't get up and do, do nothing right. like that. They stopped up there, but one but one car went up the hill. That's it. That was now, they might have come in from the other way, but it was just one car went up the hill. Chandra's uncle Alton was watching President Reagan's State of the Union address that evening. 
And it's probably important for you to get a clear picture of what he and others are describing. The May house sat atop a hill off Highway 35. Now, today, if you're standing on the highway and you're looking up this hill, you can clearly see the old house on top. Midway down the hill, closer to you, closer to the highway, to your left, that's where the Spivey house is. You can see that even more clearly. And there's a dirt road drive that cuts across the bottom of the hill. That dirt road splinters into another that leads all the way up to the old May front yard. In 2020, it looks like two structures on one piece of property with a dirt road driveway, all right? Back in 86, it was different. The bottom and portions of that hill were thick with woods. From the highway, it looked more like two separate dirt roads leading off into the forest. You can really see the Spivey house from the highway. Likewise, sitting in the Spivey living room on a Tuesday night, you would not see the lights of a car unless that car was coming up that dirt drive. So what Alton is telling you is that while he was watching the State of the Union, he saw just one pair of lights come up the hill past him. When he says someone might have come in from the other way, he means a car may have entered from the opposite side of the hill away from his house. So, a little while after the lights went by the window and David Spivey muttered to his dad, well, there goes Chandra, the phone rang. And it was Aunt Nell, which is Chandra's mother. And she said, Dave, she said, is your dad home? I said, yes, ma'am, Aunt Nell, just a minute. And um, I said, Dad, Aunt Nell wants to talk to you. Aunt Nell said, Alton, is Chandra down there? And they said, no, Nell, she's not down here. And he said, what's wrong? And she said, well, I'm worried because she called for McDonald's and said she's going to teach you why and get a little card for Tony for her Valentine." and said she hadn't made it home yet. A minute later, Janelle May, Alton Spivey, and David Spivey had located Chandra's car. It was pulled sort of to the side of that dirt drive just short of her house, and she was not in it. Alton says his sister-in-law was already frantic. Yeah, she was upset about that. About, didn't know what, you know, didn't know where she was or what she was into or nothing. She just tore all her pieces and she wasn't in their car. They see the car and of course the first thing they're thinking is that maybe they, that she went somewhere with her boyfriend, Tony. They were real close and I said, they probably rode over to, to Walnut Grove to get something to drink or something. Inside the car, Chandra's purse with money still inside it, her McDonald's smock, her jacket, the big heart she bought for Tony with the stuffed animal, her glasses, and the keys. Her uncle and her cousin um, get in the car, and they are actually, they go to Walnut Grove. Yeah, I know. That doesn't exactly seem like the best idea. Chandra's father feels the same way. Spivey got in the car and went to Walnut Grove to see if she had went over there with her boyfriend or something. But... I didn't go along with that. I, that didn't. That idea didn't 
suit me when I got home, which I got home the next morning when they called and told me that she was missing. Uh, I just got off in Memphis and said, to hell with it, you can come home, you know. It wasn't like her or her boyfriend. Not to drive that car another 150 yards mm -hmm. and put it in the yard and tell her mother that she was going to ride over to Walnut Grove if she were to do that, you know. Because we didn't have any objections to the young man. Right. He, he was a, a nice young man. You know, they go through there looking for... Uh, the idea of her being kidnapped at the time is... Uh, no one believes that until they can cannot find her anywhere. It never made sense to me why he did it, but and he apologized over and over for doing it, you know. But it's just he just sat down in it and took off over to see. Alton and his son David Spivey returned to the May residence after checking a popular spot for the local youth to hang. It was basically a gas station with a payphone where kids gathered on the weekends. On this. Tuesday night, no Tony, no Chandra. Uh, it took some time to call the sheriff's office. Uh, by that time, the car had been moved and compromised. Regardless of when that call to the sheriff went out, Tim May did get a call earlier in the evening. Very, very slightly after 9 o'clock, I was at Jitney Jungle. I was at East Central in college over there, but I came home uh, to help them with stock. They were having a big stock run that night. And uh, I'd come home to help him put out stock that evening. And uh, I went, went to work at Jeepney Jungle in Carthage. And uh, we were just about ready to call it a night and close up. Matter of fact, we were doing just a little bit of fronting. I was in the, in the fourth door of the freezer compartment right there next to the office. And my mom called and told me. And uh, it, uh, it sort of shocked me, you know, because she, she was never not where she's supposed to be like that, you know, so um, worried me, surprised me, upset me. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I thought I thought the worst from the beginning, I guess. So the reason for the lack of investigation and documentation from deputies is up for debate. And you will hear it debated here that night, though, the Mays just wanted to know where their daughter had gone. At sunrise, the Mays and the Spiveys were still together, stirring, none of them having slept at all. There were still no answers. In fact, the questions had only just begun. The next day, People looking on the side of the road and everything, and we got a plane out of Jackson, out of Forest, and we flew both sides of the highway from from Carthage, from Forest up the other side of Walnut Grove up there, but you couldn't see nothing. That plane ride was not provided by the Scott County Sheriff's Department or any other law enforcement agency. Believe it or not, no other agencies had even been notified of the situation. But we'll get into that later. Anyway, the guy who owned and piloted the plane was just a friendly farmer who was an acquaintance of the May family. Now, I'm sure you're wondering about the boyfriend. We'll get to him later as well. But for now, you can know that 
When he was told about Chandra vanishing, he went directly to Chandra's house and her family. This is Tony Adams. I stayed down there, I, I don't know, time. I, I don't know how many days I stayed there. Tony was freaking out, and he was seeing a lot of freaking out all around him. Janelle May was a wreck, and Richard? I burned up a car, basically, running from place to place because somebody would call and say, well, we got a, a tip, you know. And here I'd go, you know. Full blast, wide open. As we have established, the current Scott County Sheriff was not Sheriff back in 86. Mike Lee was only 16 at the time of Chandra May's disappearance, and he remembers it well. Being 16, you... you are listening to adults talking, not only what you may read, but things you may hear. And, um, you know, it just was one of those things that, uh, even to this day, though, it's really never gone away. You'd be amazed that places you go that they still talk about it. So back then, there wasn't anywhere you went around Forest, Mississippi, or Carthage, Mississippi, that uh, this was not the first thing kind of said. Everybody was terrified. You know, small town Mississippi, this kind of stuff doesn't happen. Back at home base, boyfriend Tony Adams felt the same about county law's involvement or lack of involvement, as did Chandra's family. Law, you know, they didn't even want to do much until they, so many hours went by, and, you know, they thought she'd run off, you know, and I, thought, I, I knew she had. I thought I knew something bad had happened. When investigators for the state of Mississippi finally caught wind of the disappearance, well, they knew something bad had happened, too. Here's the man who was then director of the Criminal Investigations Bureau, Walter Tucker. Uh, started, they organized some searches and everything and started searching the area and, uh, on foot and... Uh, you know, nothing happened. Mr. Tucker found himself rather late to the party looking for clues. Spivey told us, uh, told our investigators, when he walked up there to the car, he said, and, and this was a little drizzle, had been a little drizzle that night and uh, in February, and the ground was just soft, but it wasn't, you know, wasn't muddy. But he said it looked to him like it had been another car waiting there, another vehicle waiting there. And when she drove up, they drove up beside it and maybe they talked. And he saw, said he saw, her, looked like her footprints coming out of her car and walking around and getting in the other vehicle. Here's how Richard May remembers this man, Walter Tucker. He was one tough nut. Smart, smart. He also fondly remembers the man Tucker appointed to lead the Chandra May investigation. Neil Bradford was the one one of the investigative officers that I, that's the one I call my friend. Bradford started pounding pavement and digging up dirt all over the area, and Richard May was usually right by his side. But the days kept on passing without any real progress. The Valentine's Day, for which Chandra had been so psyched, came and went. On February 20th, more than two weeks after the night she vanished, Walter Tucker told the media, quote, I wish I had something hopeful to say about this girl, where she might be, but I don't. End quote. Churches paused for remembrance of Chandra 
and prayer for her and her family. Missing flyers featuring Chandra's photo and the promise of a $5,000 reward decorated telephone poles, windows, and bulletin boards. Townspeople, some of whom only knew Chandra peripherally, wore sprigs of green or green ribbons, symbolizing hope she'd be found safely. You know, hearing it on the news, you were like, wow, you know, but surely she's just run away or something, you know, never to the point that she uh, had been taken and killed. I couldn't really think of anybody who would want to hurt her for any reason whatsoever. It's hard to explain. You, you want to believe that she's going to be all right. And, but in your mind, you know that she's not. That's the way it was. You're, you're hopeful that you can find her and she'd be okay. But then, but in the back of your mind, you're saying, well, she's going to be deceased when you find her. As those of you who have been down the road with me before know, I am the father of a cancer survivor. I spent a lot of time just emotionally twisted up for lack of a better description. I hoped for the best. I believed in my daughter. I believed in her treatment. I cried for her pain and her torment. But I had, of course, always, in the back of my mind, a dreadful worst case scenario. I can happily tell you today that Lila Usri's recovery was hard fought but close to what you would call a best-case outcome. Back in 1986, for Richard May and Janelle and the rest of Chandra's family, for her schoolmates, for Scott County and Leake County, for Central Mississippi, this was to be a worst-case outcome. Hey, I need to pause to tell you guys how you can access the remainder of Big Heart Broken if you finish this first episode and you would like to continue. And I want to make a few things clear. This podcast series is an investigation. All my notable findings in this investigation will be passed on to appropriate law enforcement. The episodes themselves will be personally delivered to the family members participating in this production. Having said that, I'm not selling ads for this series, and this is an endeavor that requires a lot of time and effort and some expense as well. So, if you are hearing this on a free feed, be it Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever, this is the only installment of Big Heart Broken that will be available here. The rest of the series will be exclusive to the A Sip of Justice Patreon for ASOJ premium subscribers. You can get there by checking out the show notes for this episode and clicking the link. Or if show notes do not appear where you are listening, you can visit a sipofjustice.com and hit that link. If you haven't guessed, a sip of justice, recently rebranded from the far less catchy Usri Network, is dedicated to deep dive investigating unsolved cases from the state of Mississippi. By becoming a subscriber, you'll get not only the rest of BHB, but archives of my previous investigations. All right, I appreciate your patience. Back to the episode. Supposedly it had to come through the sheriff's department. 
information did. Who, who was behind that 5000 I put the money up. But it had to come through the... Well, that was the number we gave when we advertised it, see. The Sheriff's Department numbers. In other words, anybody with the information called the Sheriff's Department with the information. February 26th, 1986. 260 feet south of the Champion Hill Road Bridge in Bolton, Mississippi. A man by the name of Jimmy Lewis was digging for fish bait in Baker's Creek. He was an off-duty fireman, and he, like most people in the state who followed news to any degree at all, knew about the search for Chandra May. According to newspaper reporter Sid Salter, the water there in Baker's Creek was up to 10 feet deep, muddy, and slow moving. It was all familiar to Jimmy. But there was something there, roughly four feet from the bank, he had definitely never seen before. We were up there at Aunt Nell's house, Chandra's house. Investigators told us that the longer she's missing, you know, the worst. And so the best, we were up there at Aunt Nell's, and that's whenever, a few days later, they told us they found her. The nude body of Chandra May was inside garbage bags. She was face down with hands, feet, and neck tied together by fiber-reinforced tape. The ring, still on her finger, issued by Leak Academy, bore the initials S.M. At this scene, again, things were mishandled, to say the least. Uh, Robert... Martin was a coroner in Hines County at that time. He went out there and, and uh, her body was out in the water and he got in a boat and went out there and just pulled the body to wrapped in tape, uh, as he described, hogtied, wrist and ankles. And, uh, and just started cutting the tape off and this kind of stuff, you know. And you don't do nothing, you don't mess with nothing. The mud that's on the body, the dirt, the trash, your limbs, the garbage, everything is bundled, bagged, and sent to the state, or sent to the, to the crime lab. They opened her, they untied her, they washed the body on scene. They lost so much evidence right there, it wasn't even funny. You know, some of the stuff that the, the, the medical examiner would say, well, that was evidently from the tape. Well, if she'd have went to the, to the lab taped, it wouldn't have been no, evidently that was from the tape. Right. You take the tape off, you know where the tape was. Uh, it, it was botched so bad from the start. Richard May was with State Investigator Neil Bradford and the National Guard's Joey Guntz planning a weekend search for Chandra. When word of a possible identification came, Bradford left immediately for Hines County with Chandra's dental records. An autopsy was underway, and it seems the man performing it was of the same caliber as the coroner. Dr. Bennett did the first one. Dr. Okay. Tom Bennett, he was state medical examiner. Okay. And uh, he did it, and, and, and that w he was totally incompetent. 
uh, I don't know why the state even hired him, and he didn't last long after that. He he was from Iowa, and he went back up there and got the same job up there, and it wasn't long. They started calling me from Iowa and want to know how he, what kind of stuff he did down here. And he said, well, he's doing the same thing up here. We're going to fire him. So they fired him up there, too. So he did his autopsy, told us that she'd you know, been dead a few days, uh, but it, it, it would have had to have been that she was held somewhere before she was killed. And described it as, uh, he said she was asphyxiated, or like, as he described, like putting a pillow over somebody's face and just holding it down, you know. Adding insult to an injury from which the family would never recover. The man who found the body immediately lawyered up to make sure he would claim his reward for finding Chandra's body. The discovery made on what would have been Chandra May's 18th birthday devastated her parents, struck fear into the hearts of young females all over the region, not to mention parents, shocked the state of Mississippi. This was the kind of sadism and brutality that was supposed to be reserved for places far away. Coming up on Big Heart Broken, information on the discovery you will not find elsewhere and a thorough investigation of a startling number of viable suspects and possibilities. The bad check writer who turned out to be something substantially more sinister. The hot rod driving karate instructor with a mile long list of female accusers. The prolific serial killer who spent some time in the Magnolia State and was the Scott County Sheriff more interested in hiding dirty secrets than stopping a monster from killing again? For the first time, you know, we kind of felt like, you know, well, this could happen to us, you know, this could happen to me. I hope to meet with you again over on the A Sip of Justice Patreon, Tuesday, December 22nd, and every other Tuesday that follows for Big Heart Broken. This series is produced, scored, and edited by me, Jason Lee Usry. Thanks. I'll talk to you soon.